Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Soccer Morning on a Friday live from the NSCAA convention in Baltimore, Maryland. Jason Davis here with you. Joined by Jonathan Tannewald from Philly.com is sitting in uh, for the first part of the show, or probably the whole show, because this might be a truncated <laughs> version of Soccer Morning. We are uh, working out the tech here uh, live at the convention center in Baltimore. Uh, we obviously had the MLS Super Draft yesterday, the NWSL Draft coming up today. Jonathan will be covering that. Uh, let's hit the news here very quickly, and then we'll have a nice little chat with Jonathan about the events surrounding the convention uh, to yesterday and today, and obviously tomorrow as well, which I think some fireworks might happen yes. on a Saturday. Yeah, let's so. start with the MLS Super Draft yesterday uh, here in Baltimore. First overall pick, Jack Harrison, originally picked by NYCFC after a trade. He ends up in Chicago. Uh, sorry, after he was picked by Chicago. I get that backwards. It's a confusing day yesterday. Uh, picked by Chicago, ends up traded to NYCFC. Uh, meanwhile, Brandon Vincent um, also uh, is in, ends up in Chicago. Uh, of Philadelphia. Originally picked by, well, yes, of course, Philadelphia. <laughs> very disappointed not to get Brandon Vincent. What struck me as odd yesterday was that when Brandon Vincent's video message appeared on the big screen at uh, at the draft, he obviously didn't know who he was, who he was going to be picked by when he recorded said video right. message. Uh, quite a, an odd feeling around the draft in 2016. Uh, in fact, we may talk a little bit later about Paul Gardner, who wrote a scathing piece at soccer. You're surprised. <laughs> At Soccer America about the lack of Hispanic uh, influence in the uh, college super draft for MLS, uh, an ongoing issue. Uh, your other dra- other picks of no Joshua Yarrow, who was uh, originally believed to be the number one overall selection, uh, likely overall number one overall selection, ends up with the Philadelphia Union uh, in a uh, uh, with a pick that was um, obtained from Colorado. So since I have you here, yeah. Josh Yarrow to Philadelphia. What's that? He's the guy they really wanted all along. Uh, Ernie Stewart was very clear about that yesterday. And it was pretty obvious as soon as they traded for the number two pick that that was where they were going to go with it. Keegan Rosenberry at number three was the surprise. And the unfortunate thing is, Rosenberry could have been a union homegrown player. Right. We came do. very close to being a union homegrown player. We have a couple of issues yeah. of, of homegrownness came, uh, within this. Uh, came, I think it's fair to say, much closer than Jack Harrison did to be. Right. The only thing that struck me yesterday, uh, just obviously watching from afar, was not here in Baltimore, is the uh, amount of TAM flying around the room. There's TAM everywhere. It's, it's TAM day. Uh, we'll uh, we'll come back to the Super Draft with Jonathan here in a moment. Let's move on. Uh, yesterday, well, I saw this news yesterday. I'm not sure when this recording actually happened, but Merritt Paulson of the Portland Timbers, obviously the owner of the MLS Cup champions, telling Soccer Made in Portland that there's a direct uh, campaign by uh, by head coach Jurgen Klinsmann of the U.S. Men's National Team against MLS. And, uh, we'll, we'll obviously see some fallout. Uh, I've heard from various sources that perhaps other people in MLS are none too happy with Jurgen Klinsmann over the Jordan Morris situation with Voto Bremen. Uh, Jordan Morris uh, gathered... Not sure that's news. Though. No, it's definitely not. But uh, gathering an assist today in a friendly with Voto Bremen. So that's uh, certainly with no- worth noting. Uh, other rumors swirling around MLS. The Colorado Rapids connected to Alejandro Bedoya. I- I'm not sure that Taylor Twoman meant to put that rumor out there. It seemed very uh, sketchy as to whether or not he was intending to say that the Rapids were chasing Bedoya. But they're certainly chasing Alan Polito uh, of Mexico, who is 24, currently on the books at, at Olympiacos. We'll see what happens there. Uh, meanwhile, Bedoya and a return to MLS has been rumored before. In fact, the Philadelphia Union were once very close to getting Alejandro Bedoya. So we'll see if, uh, if the American International does come to MLS at some point. Also word that Atlanta could have 30,000 real, legitimate season ticket holders. Uh, that's the buzz around the convention uh, with the... 
30,000 deposits. The conversion rate is obviously key here, but Grant Wallace Sports Illustrated is saying that uh, there is a belief that at least 80% of those deposits could be converted into season tickets. Uh, Atlanta could be one of the most amazing MLS stories uh, in expansion history. It could be a very difficult uh, story. We'll see. Um, but certainly there's a buzz there in Atlanta for professional soccer at the top level. Uh, also, Arsene Wenger of Arsenal, who has an opinion on everything because he's always asked his opinion on everything, says that Real Madrid's transfer ban will be overturned. This is obviously uh, in, in the wake of FIFA handing down that ban to both Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Um, both, both clubs are going to appeal. Uh, Real director Jose Angel Sanchez has called the sanction absolutely unjustified. I believe I heard that some of this may even come from Zinedine Zidane's kids really in, in in terms of their connection to Real Madrid. I'm going to have to look that out, uh, look that up a little bit more and get some further research done. All right, here we are live at the NSCAA convention in Baltimore, Maryland. Jason Davis sitting with Jonathan Tannewell. We're going to grab Jonathan for a nice little chat about the two drafts uh, here at the convention, some other uh, MLS news of note. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, serious, sorry, Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Soccer morning back uh, live on a Friday from the NSCAA convention in Baltimore, Maryland. Jason Davis with you. Also joined by Jonathan Tannewell from Philly.com. Obviously a guest. Of- is, is this how television works? <laughs> we are like squeezed. In. You know what this is? This looks like to me. It's it's when the and I know you've covered plenty of college basketball in your in your career. This is when the they get that shot, that low shot of yeah. the basketball announcers right. leaning over the table. I feel like that. Uh, Jonathan, we're we're here at the convention. Uh, it's the panic. <laughs> Don't do that to me in the no. middle of the show. No. Uh, we are, American soccer show. We are in the aftermath of the MLS Super Draft. And, and, and for me, the more interesting thing with the MLS Super Draft, Jonathan, is the uh, validity, the value of that draft. And we may come to that. Certainly the, the players picked are excited to join their teams. Let's talk about today's event. And before we go back to what happened with MLS yesterday, NWSL, where the value of the draft is clear. There is absolutely yeah. no doubt about it. Uh, these girls, uh, these women are the best uh, the best talent available and certainly NWSL needs to fill the ranks with whatever they can get at this point. Uh, we may come to salaries and, and, and finances eventually, but in terms of what's going to happen today, what, what's the buzz right now? Well, the big buzz is a trade that just happened this morning uh, as I was on my way over, racing over here from my hotel to <laughs> get the show set up. Uh, Sky Blue and Portland. Sky Blue of, of Rutgers University or thereabouts in northern New Jersey, depending on what year it is. Uh, swapping the numbers, two and three picks. Portland also gets Nadia Nadim, uh, who's a really great, creative player, somebody who uh, has been written about by Vice and a few other outlets because she's got a really great backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would encourage folks to go uh, and look that story up. Um, Sky Blue wants, apparently, Raquel Rodriguez of Penn State, uh, the Matt Herman Trophy winner, Led them to the national championship this year. Played for Costa Rica's national team at the World Cup last summer. Um, and the word is that Portland, with the number one pick, which they also have, is going to take uh, Emily Sinet, who's already been with the U.S. national team's uh, defender from the University of Virginia. Uh, so that won't surprise anybody. Well, give me a sense. Eric Paulson doesn't even hear about it. <laughs> give me a sense of, uh, of how some of the, the movement we've seen recently with the most high-profile players in the league, including... Uh, Alex Morgan and obviously uh, Sidney LaRue being shifted to uh, FC Kansas City. How, how that's going to impact how these teams go about their draft. At least in Portland. Give, give me a sense about Portland. The NWSL is spectacularly unpredictable. <laughs> um, so I don't want to stick my neck out too far 
and end up being wrong. Sinet going to Portland is going to help them a ton. And I, I get that Orlando really wanted Alex Morgan, mm-hmm. not only off the field, actually on the field. I think Tom Cermani really wanted that. Okay, okay. Um, the off the field reasons being, obviously, she's the star of stars, sure. and she, her significant other was Fernando Carrasco, and he plays for Orlando. Um, wouldn't you like to have a pretty good young defender as your first draft pick when you're trying to establish something solid? Well, you know, that's that's that would be my instinct, but people like goals. Right. Well, they do. And, and there's going to be a lot of goals in the NWSL this year because Portland's also going to have Lindsay Horan. Okay. Yeah. And, and right. that's... Uh, she's... Portland's going to basically walk out of this draft with Lindsay Horan and Emily Sinet. Which, you've just gone and taken two... U.S. national team players to certainly potential, if not likely, members of the Olympic team. The Olympic team, right. Um, not a bad haul. Well, of course, and this is the, the, the what's interesting about the, the balancing act that the NWSL teams have to do, and we talk about MLS, teams having to decide, are we going to take this international, uh, who's probably going to be gone for a portion of the summer, leading us to need some some depth to cover uh, and how we go about finding that depth. Whereas in WSL, I mean, yes, of course you'd love to have these things, but really your first concern is selling your product and putting together a team that can score some goals and win some games. So you're not necessarily as concerned, but, you know, an Alex Morgan, a Lindsey Grand, these players are going to go missing for a large portion of the season. Uh, and, and, you know, last year we saw some unpaid amateurs having to step in into the WSL ranks in order to cover or international. So, so you know, when you're putting together a team, do you have to just forget about the fact that the internationals are going to have other uh, duties because the value that they bring in terms of, certainly in terms of the marketing elements, is just too big? You get a lot of different answers to that. You'll certainly find people who say, no, you shouldn't forget it. And the reason why, Paul Riley is the classic example of why you shouldn't forget it. He, year after year, uh, in, the, in the NWSL and in WPS before when he was the head coach of Philadelphia built the teams that went to the championship game without having any stars because they won so many games during the regular season when the big stars were away mm-hmm. that they got a high seed in the playoffs I mean, Portland last year didn't make the playoffs at all from the star power they have is one example so he would go make, make and ironically Paul Riley was the coach of Portland last year um can certainly you can win in the NWSL by not having stars when your team is coherent and all together for an entire year when it's a year when the stars are playing, which is one of the idiosyncrasies of the thing. Yeah, when, when does that happen? At least two out of every four years. Okay, sure. Not yeah, all four. But, but we just we're we're seeing two years in a row here. I mean, that's that's obviously the difficulty, and, and because it is such an important time in NWSL's history, because again, it's just very much like uh, like MLS 1.0, and even maybe MLS now. It's not just about who's the best team who can put together the best team. It's about everybody's in this together to sell this league because otherwise we might not have it tomorrow. And they've already gone through this issue twice. So You mean hashtag team soccer? Well, okay, for the women's game, hashtag team, hashtag team soccer actually has some value. Um, whether or not, uh, whether or not it, uh, it continues to, uh, to be a problem that they, I mean, not a problem, but something that needs to be front of mind rather than 
just another thing to fold into the process is, is I guess, going to dictate a lot of, of personnel moves. It is, and it's, you know, it's tough when the, the salary cap is tight, and I'm not... I am the kind of person who would build a team to win, but then again, I'm not the one who's in charge of selling well, tickets. I mean, that's, that's and, what I'm and, saying. So obviously, right, yeah. uh, every coach in the league... Uh, Thomas Romani's the new guy, well, the new guy in terms of that team. We've got to play a new team. But every coach in the league then has to deal with the marketing people saying, hey, we you know, we got to sell some tickets here. Where's your sizzle? Where's the person Where's the person who's going to sell And the, the irony is that Orlando has a big enough fan base built into the construct because Orlando City is running their market. Right. That they might not, they could have gone out and signed any number of people not named Alex Morgan has still been well, well like I said Sermani probably called Alex Morgan so that 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 actually uh, that actually could be uh, you know that's something to, 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 to remember that this isn't necessarily all about selling Orlando's uh, Orlando uh, pride but uh, one thing I want to I mean obviously we're looking at the draft you've identified some of these, these picks that we expect to see before we move on from uh, NWSL just give me a sense of your your feeling about the the Sydney Larue trade, uh, the the value that that came back for her, and and again this sort of uh, precedent that's been set now, where uh, a big NWSL star says, "Hey, I want to be in the same city as my husband," and next thing you know, a trade happens. Well, it's funny. We were talking a lot at the NSCAA coaches' breakfast yesterday about what would have happened if there had been an MLS team in Rochester. <laughs> would uh, would Dom Dwyer have demanded a trade to Russia? Right, right. That will happen someday. Do, does, do these things go both ways? Yeah, well, I question. hope so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in um, terms of the equal treatment, absolutely right. should go both ways. Um, the big question that I have when you look at the U.S. national team's forward depth chart with Alex Morgan and Kristen Press at the top, mm-hmm. and if they're going to play. A four-three-three, a four-two-three-one, whatever you want to call it. Where you've got Rapino, Heath, Dunn, mm-hmm. other folks who are playing on the wings. Where is Sydney Lou's place? <laughs> and is she on the out in part? Is she out of it in part because she is such a straight line run? Yes. At a time when the forward depth chart is so much more creative, mm-hmm. can. Vladko Anonofsky change her style he's a great coach he might well be the best coach in the NWSL mm-hmm. I had some hopes that he might get the U.S. Women's National Team job after Jill stepped down which she ended up not doing right um, can Vladko work his magic on Sydney Lou yeah. if he can all of a sudden she's going to come back into the mix and potentially in a bit. but we saw during the World Cup last summer she, she, and, and there's been injuries and there's been things that have we got paparazzi held her back uh, yeah both are here um, that, that have held her back it seems to me and she is she's I mean she's a lot of pace and power and that's yeah. that's fine and there's a place for that but maybe not in the system directly we'll, we'll see what's in the room alright Jonathan's unlimited time so let's get to the MLS draft here yeah. briefly before I let you go. Uh, yesterday's event, obviously, the league continues to go through the process of holding this thing, making a big deal out of it. The lights, the, the cameras, the noise. Um, it works. It, the question is, it, it works in terms of drawing attention to the league. The question then again is whether or not teams are getting value out of it. 
Um, look, NYCFC wanted Jack Harrison. They went for the homegrown. They didn't get it. They ended up figuring out a way to trade for him. Now they had to give up something, of course. Um, you know, Chicago gets what they got at Philadelphia with a couple of picks. Picks up some 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 help. At least you think that on paper. You see this and you take this in a in a vacuum as. These players are going to step in and fill this spot, but that's not how the draft. They got the best forward in college. Are you the best forward not named Jordan Morris in the college game? Certainly the best forward. Well, in that, that's an issue, though. That there is. Right. <laughs> there if, are. I mean, everything I've read about Five Minute Herbers is pretty right. good. They yeah. got the best right back in the draft, or the best center back. Okay. It's a very real possibility that Josh Yar and Keegan Rosenberry can be in the starting lineup. Okay. Well, that. But what does that say about the union? Oh, obviously, stink. <laughs> and, okay. and and this is look, and it's funny because. They had the best draft haul of anybody yeah. yesterday by a fairly significant margin. Chicago was probably second. Mm-hmm. But the fans all walked out of their disappointment because they wanted Brandon Vincent. And I was on, on the Sirius XM and probably this very same chair that I'm sitting in right now, <laughs> uh, you know, talking last night with Joe Tolleson and Brian Dunseth. And Dunny was talking about how because Vincent got called into the national team before the draft, yeah. all of a sudden his stock skyrockets. He's the guy that everybody's talking right. about. He's a household name. He's conventional wisdom, which is an extremely dangerous thing in college soccer. Right. Yeah. Um, and and my counter to that was, that's all fair. The union haven't had a half-decent left-back since 2011, and they needed a left-back. And even if he, yeah. en- if he ends up being a guy who plays in MLS and starts regularly in MLS for seven or eight years... Sure, you've done very but, well. But, but I mean, that's that's the the odds against that. At least in the right. at this point in the draft's history, are are, are pretty pretty large. I mean, that, that doesn't mean he can't be good, and it doesn't mean there aren't talented players in college soccer. It doesn't mean that they can't convert themselves into professionals on a fairly short timeline. John, it's I'm, just I'm looking something up real quick we, while you're talking. We are we obviously are in a in a condition now with the draft where. We again, we treat in a vacuum. We treat all of these players as important, as potential, uh, you know, some, uh, potential either either uh, depth players or well, actually, in the first round, you know, in an NFL context, these are our starters. These are guys who are going to come in from day one. You, gotta, you drafted a defensive end at number two. Well, he better be making sacks. Uh, right. You know, he better be, he better be collecting sacks when when you go to um, into your season. That's it's it's. I, I know I'm watching. I'm watching these guys on the MLS broadcast do their thing, and, and Matt Doyle knows his stuff, and Taylor Twelman knows his stuff, and Jonathan York. But it, I, I can't help but think that you guys are trying to be as earnest as possible, but you can feel that there's certainly a lack of conviction sometimes. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I don't know. I don't want that. That doesn't mean anything necessarily, and we're going to go through this rigmarole, but at some point, the diminishing returns on the draft are going to dictate that we can't fake this anymore. No. When... When the time comes, it will go. But a very, a very funny thing is happening right now, and it's almost sort of ironic, given what we were talking about a few minutes ago with Paul Gardner blasting the lack of Hispanic talent in the college game. When I, I have a hunch that a fair few of the families of those Hispanic kids would love their kids to get a college scholarship or college play soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got now players who are coming into the United States from other countries who are getting scouted by colleges internationally, who are getting scholarship offers to fairly good schools, such as Wake Forest with Jack Harrison and Georgetown with Josh Harris, are being successful and then are turning pro that way. And there was a quote yesterday from Fabian Herbers that I want to read to you. 
um, that I found to be pretty amusing. Quote, people in Germany appreciate the offer of education and playing soccer on a collegiate level, end quote. You know, that's... Uh, do they really? Because I hadn't heard that. Before. Well, I mean, I think that's interesting because, again, you know, we covet what everyone else has, right? Whether we're German and it's a matter of education. Speaking of Brian Dunson, Brian Dunson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I did. That's all good. We, uh, you know, you covet what the other people, what, you know, we, as Americans, we covet the German developmental system. Right. We covet what, what those clubs are doing, how much money they're spending, how much talent they're pumping out. Can we get them as an Ozil, please? But they may, at, at some point, sort of covet the, the more, I don't want to say casual, uh, the more well-rounded nature yes. of our player development system, at least as it existed prior to the MLS Academy Initiative but, and, and DA and everything else. But we are constantly told that we are wrong. Well, that we're told we are wrong by people within this country who covet, again... Uh, one person in particular. And that's what drives <laughs> well, me nuts. Well, though, it's, it, and, and uh, what I'm saying, though, is... is What's interesting about it is it's going to present a question for American soccer. It's already presenting the same, the damn question. It's do we go full bore? And, and I know you brought this up on Counterattack last night. And it's I don't want to make it a binary thing. It's not always black and white. But do we go full bore on trying to make our turning every kid that plays soccer at a reasonably decent level at 12 and 14 into professionals, which means pushing them into a system that, that demands training, 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 which basically pushes school out of the equation. Well, you can go and get a college education, but it's definitely not going to be part of your athletic experience anymore directly. You're not going to be out of school to play soccer if we're really focusing on trying to be more like the Germans. Meanwhile, the Germans go, well, the genie's out of the bottle for us, but wouldn't it be lovely if our kids could be 18 and 19 years old and go to college and play soccer? That'd be so great. Look at how look at how well-adjusted these people are. I, I think there's a way to do it, and I'm, I'm quite a fan of... In particular, what Brian Lisi at Georgetown has done, where he has very successfully mined the MLS academies in the Northeast, New York, Philly, DC, New England, etc., for the kids who are not going to turn pro at 18, but get some seasoning playing for a very good program, one of the best in the country, get a very good education, yeah, and then when the time comes for them to turn pro, they turn pro, and the the. the yeah, here's, John, the, here's the funny thing. We, we, none of that. Yeah. None of that. All of that is great for those kids, and I hope Josh Yarrow has a great career. I hope that these guys who come out of Georgetown and and Duke and Stanford and whatever school, Lake Forest. I mean, there's a lot of good schools out there playing good soccer. Maryland's a good, good school. Um, I hope they have big, long careers and and prove that there's still value in being a college soccer player. But I get a call. I get calls every day. I've heard from people who tell me college soccer ruins soccer players. Ruins them. Then not, fix college not, soccer. Not, not, oh, it's not the greatest way to teach a kid. It ruins them. Then fix college soccer, which the coaches are trying to do. Right. And the NCAA needs to listen to them. The NCAA doesn't listen to anybody except ESPN and CBS and Fox every once in a while. Well, that's what I but said. That, that's, that's why the, I said, and it, it actually got tweeted out. I said it on SiriusXM. It got tweeted out, taken out of context. I think Taylor Twelman maybe misunderstood my point eventually, but eventually came around. There, there is no, and the NCAA has no interest in developing soccer players because there's no money in it. It's funny. Somebody was it. You and I were talking yesterday about Akron and transfer fees. No. Oh yes, 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 we did. That the, the, the NCAA would take that money for itself instead of like yeah. Akron. Well, I mean, it, it, if there was a way without 
destroying the whole amateur facade for the NCAA to take transfer fees, to take, to take not transfer fees, but solidarity payments for training compensation, they would do that, absolutely. Because it's, and they wouldn't let the schools have it. No, no, no. The they would take it all for themselves. They would say that this is part of, you know, we, we created the system that allows these kids to be. Right. Yeah. But like I said, if the NCAA doesn't have a, a financial interest in making college soccer players the best they can be, then why would they, why would they have an interest in fixing the college soccer experience? Because they the tend to, they, whatever. the mechanisms of the NCAA are such that often enough when the coaches en masse propose something okay. that happens. The other, the other thing about this, and I can't speak from experience, but I guarantee you if I took a poll of some of the college coaches around here, especially the smaller ones, they would say that that threatens their program. That idea of taking the college soccer season and stretching it out over a full year, a calendar year, or the full school year, and doing some of these things that have been proposed by the should. larger schools. I don't think it should. And I honestly, I disagree with you. Okay, I've had a call. I'm not, saying, I'm not speaking from my personal perspective. I'm saying that there are, I've had coaches call me from D3 schools and say, I would, I would probably lose my program because the costs of running my program go up if we're now adding a, you know, a serious spring. Well, but they're, but they're not playing so many more games. So yeah, the travel I, I, costs, I don't think, are going to be that big. Yeah. Here's the, i got to run upstairs in a minute, but I want to conclude with this point. When I step back and sort of try to watch this conversation from 10,000 feet in the air, one of the things that it's hard for me to avoid noticing is that most of us who are having conversation are around our age. Mm -hmm. The millennial soccer demographic is having this conversation about college soccer. With all due respect, and this isn't true for everybody, but it's true for a decent number of us, it's not our kids. No, it's true. somebody else's kids. Mm-hmm. And when the time comes for it to be our kids, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? Well, okay. Because I don't think we know. You know you know that I try very hard, and obviously without having a, a college-age kid, I can only try to project myself in that situation. But I try very hard to get us outside of this bubble of, got to develop the best players. Okay, well, what about the best people? I mean, that's for me, that's, that's a question that doesn't get asked enough. We always, con- soccer fans are concerned with, Will we ever win a World Cup? How do we get players to help us win a World Cup? You know, grind, grind, grind. Whereas, you know, people, families, fathers, mothers, whatever, they're concerned about, well, is my kid going to be happy and healthy and well-educated and well-rounded and, and, and have a life after soccer when soccer that's kicks why them I in say, the ass at 21? That's why I say, what happens when it's your kid? Are you going to sacrifice your kid and put him in the MLS Academy? And if you come to back to me and say, well, my kid's not good enough, I'm going to say, Why? Because you're the one who's calling into the show all the time, berating us for the fact that everybody's not good enough. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, uh, listening to Counterattack last night from here in the convention, uh, Kevin Payne, uh, who's with U.S. Is it U.S. Club Soccer, US Club Soccer, was talking about their initiatives, and one of the things he said was, "We got to just keep, get kids to keep playing, to not give, not lose them." Um, you know, we, we got to keep kids from saying at 13 or 14, "This isn't fun anymore." The coach thinks I'm too small. Whatever it is, whatever these these situations we have in American soccer pre- prevent kids from from playing deeper into their uh, into their childhoods. And 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 from one perspective, absolutely. But from another perspective, you wonder if sometimes we. And I'm not saying Kevin Payne's guilty of this, but it brings me up. It brings up the question of whether or not we dehumanize our youth soccer players in this country. Uh, At this point, again, we de- we 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 dehumanize all the other youth soccer players in the country. 
Yes, Modern except for ours. Right. Except for one night. Jonathan Tedwell, Philly.com, uh, live at the NSCAA convention. Appreciate him sitting in. He's got a run to cover the NWSL draft, which gets underway when? It, at the top of the hour. Top of the uh, hour. You can so watch it live on my blog. You can watch it live on the NWSL. Yeah, so go find the goalkeeper blog at Philly.com uh, to follow the NWSL draft. Let, right, me, Jason, let me just Steve. say one other thing real okay. quick before I leave. We had a, a listener, Tyler in Greenville, North Carolina, who tweeted, we've had a couple people actually tweet us about that we that were well dressed. <laughs> all, I, all I can say is I bought my stuff off the sale racket for very cheap. So uh, um, I thought about wearing a jersey and scarf, it just didn't work out. All right, we're going to wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. Again, appreciate Jonathan sitting in. Uh, a little impromptu session here. If you've got Sirius XM, you've got to listen to Sirius XM FC, Soccer Morning Be Live at 11 a.m. Eastern. I'm sure we'll grab some people. Floating around the conference, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about the other events uh, around American soccer. Maybe a little bit more Jordan Morris as he gets uh, an assist for Werder Bremen in a, in a friendly today. Soccer morning, serious. I almost did it again. Soccer and because I'm sitting here in this equipment. All right, thank you very much for listening, guys. Soccer morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'll talk to you on Monday.